What persuaded you to become a Christian? You remember what it was? What was it that you realized, what you thought about? Maybe you're reflecting upon the death of Christ, Christ and, and, and you, know, it, it, you, you knew in your conscience and the effect of sin. You, you had to believe and you had to obey. And so you had to obey the gospel. You believe very strongly about it. I think about those things. I think about uh, what persuades us. And I want to look at a passage tonight that's tied into uh, that persuasion. What we see throughout the book of Acts so far, if we've been, as we've been reading it, is that the Apostle Paul is persuading and he's using Scripture and he's using reason to persuade people. You go into synagogues, going to different places, persuading them uh, to become a Christian. So I, I want to think about that. I want to think about what happens here in Acts 26 where Paul is brought in by Governor Festus and he stands for the governor there in Caesarea. He's the governor over Judea. And he brings in King Agrippa who is one of the Herods. He's the Herodian line. And he is there with his queen, Bernice, to, to hear this difficult situation. Because the Jews, if they could have their way, at least the unbelieving Jews, there in Jerusalem, specifically the Sadducees and the elites, the ruling class, would have had Paul killed. You know, there was, there was this event there in, earlier in the book of Acts that you read about Paul going into Jerusalem, and they're in the temple, and they spot him, and they grab him, and they start beating him. And then the tribune comes down, the commander, and takes Paul, kind of saves him, and, and pulls him aside. Well, in the course of all that, of Paul coming into to Caesarea, uh, here he is, he's, he stood before Felix, the governor Felix, then before Festus. Yeah, the account's there. And now it's before King Agrippa. And this is a very famous account because when you read it, you, you remember this statement that King Agrippa says. And we'll get to that in a moment. So I think this passage is very important because I want us to think about uh, how we can be more persuasive and think in a way in which we have discussions with others. And well, I'm going to do something a little bit different tonight. Um, I'm going to bring out my observations as I go through the text as needed. But tonight I have a list of um, lessons that stand out to me in the text. And it's between 10 and 100. I'll let you find out. So... Um, just keep you guessing. So when, you, when, when I get to number 25, you think, okay, 75 more to go. All right? Okay, it's not that many. But I do want you to be aware as I start into it that I'm not making three points tonight. Okay? It's going to be more than that. Uh, but we're going to go to Acts 26. We're going to read verses 19 through 23 and uh, draw some things out there, make some application. And, and I, when I'm looking at this, I just I couldn't set all these aside. There's a lesson there, a lesson there. There's a point to be said here. So I'm not putting those aside this evening. I want to make sure that we're looking at every one of them. As far as what persuades us, you know, another thing that I think about as far as persuasion and what persuaded me to become a Christian was, and this stands out to me, was the effect of miracles. So that might, you might be thinking about, what does that mean? The, I'm talking about the effect of miracles. So what's the effect of miracles? Um, the effect that is, that is produced by God's, God's action. You know, you look in the, you see things that happen in the course of your life that you see, or I do, that are signs of God's working, His grace. And I hope that you see God's grace in your life. When I think about the effects of miracles, I think about predictions in the Scriptures. We don't read predictions in the Scriptures, and then I know they came true historically. When I read the predictions of Christ, and then I see Jesus of Nazareth, and that He fulfills them as the Christ, I'm seeing the effect of a miracle. 
And, and to me, this is just like I just saw a miracle because here I have it. And the Bible is that. It is the product of God's Holy Spirit speaking through His, pro- His prophets. That's miraculous. If you can't define anything else, it's miraculous. That is. That's a work of God. The other things I see here is just the, the you know, general part of, of Jesus' life, the healing and the amazing things He did. The way that He lived a holy life is miraculous to me. Um, everything that He taught, His words, are so divine and pure and right. This is from God. And Jesus even makes that point. He says, you'll know that I'm from God because of the words. And you can, you can make that decision. John 7, verse 17. I think about creation. Creation is the effect of a miracle. God, by His own, his own power, brought it all into existence. So when I look at those predictive prophecies in the Bible, I look at creation, I look at Jesus' life, I think about where the church came from. Now, where did the church come from? How did it begin? Could the church have begun if Jesus died and his body was still in the grave? No. The existence of the church and the fact that it exists today means it had a beginning. And it had a beginning, it had to have a cause. And the only reasonable cause there is the tomb was empty. And hundreds of people, hundreds of witnesses experienced Jesus risen from the dead. Those are things that just stand out to me. Uh, it's like I'm seeing the miracle myself, experiencing it for myself. Those things are very uh, persuasive to me. Just, just some thoughts there. Um, let's look at what happens here in Acts 26. Look with me over in verse 19. Acts 26, 19 to the end of the chapter. So you have Paul here. He's given his account of his conversion again, of Christ speaking to him on the road to Damascus. Uh, and of course, this is, he hasn't, he begins to believe here, but he puts on Christ in baptism three days later. It says, he, Christ says to him, Rise to your feet. I've appointed you to be a servant and a witness that you're going to go to all the nations, you're going to open their eyes, you're going to draw them uh, to the light, away from darkness, from the power of Satan, to God for the forgiveness of sins. And, and then, listen to this in verse 19. So Paul's talking to King Agrippa. He says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. This vision of God giving him a mission, he was not disobedient. He was given a very specific mission by Christ. Look at verse 20. But declared first to those who were in Damascus... He was obedient. He started right there in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, to the nations, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Verse 21, For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. They wanted to kill him because he was saying, Jesus rose from the dead. The one of whom I was persecuting, I was going after, he appeared to me, he has converted me. And come to believe. And now uh, Paul's going and preaching repentance based on this. And that's why they want to kill him. Verse 22. To this day I have had the help that comes from God. <clears throat> God's grace, His help, has been upon me. And then he concludes. Furthermore, he says, So I stand here testifying, both to small and great, by the work of God. Paul says, I'm here talking to King Agrippa. I'm here before one of the governors of Rome. And governors of Rome had the authority of the Caesar. They're the ones who had the ability to kill somebody. The tribune who took Paul couldn't do that. His life would be at stake if he took any measures like that. But the governor could. He could just, 
individuals executed. All right, he says, now he's standing before this king, King Agrippa, and Festus saying these things, and he's saying it's by God's help and providence, so I stand here. And then he says, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. I'm not changing anything. I'm going by what the Bible said would have been predicted about the Christ. All right, verse 23. So that the Christ must suffer, and that being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Verse 24. He was saying these things in his defense, and Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Now, Paul's already had these kind of individual little Bible studies, I guess you could say, gospel studies, with Festus before, where he's talked about self-control and righteousness and so forth. And, um, of course, Festus is wanting some, uh, and Felix and Festus, they're, they're wanting some money or something from him. Um, and now he's saying to Paul, you're out of your mind because of your great learning. Imagine someone saying that. So you've learned so much that now you're a madman. And so I think it's an interesting thing. But then look at verse 25. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. Well, that's true. He's speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. So Paul's saying, King Agrippa's got to know about this. He knows about the Christian faith. He knows about Jesus Christ. He knows about the prophecies. He knows these things. Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Notice how Paul is talking to King Agrippa. Of course, he's very respectful. He's saying, of course, these things aren't going to escape him. He's the king. You know, he knows. And certainly he knows what the prophets have said on these matters about the Christ. He knows them. And look what he's doing here. And King Agrippa knows what he's doing here. He's, you know, Paul's pulling him over to his side very, very well. The Holy Spirit is doing his work here through true and rational words. Look at verse 28. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Or if you're using King James, it says, are you, are, have you, are you going to persuade me? I think, how, how does it put it? It's a statement there, not a question. I don't know why it is. Yeah, you've almost persuaded me. So, same thing, same kind of idea there. Um, so, and Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether it's short or long. Interesting statement. Whether it's short or long. It's not just now, but anytime for the rest of your life. I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. Yes, I want you to become a Christian. You know, I talked to somebody else and like, Oh, are you going to persuade me to become a Christian? I hope so. Yes, I want you to become a Christian. Except for these chains, he says. Now, there's no evidence that he, that he became a Christian, but I can't imagine the way that Paul's speaking here that others there did not. And the way that he spoke before in different audiences. Let's keep reading here. We'll conclude the chapter. This is what we read in verse 30 to 32. The king rose... And the governor, and Bernice, there's the queen, and those who were sitting with them, and when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. Well, he's already been imprisoned for two years. 
and he's going to stay in, in essentially prison and as he's being transferred to Rome. He doesn't deserve this. In verse 32, And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And of course the idea of was, Yes, we'll set you free. Go back to Jerusalem where there's uh, 40 plus men wanting to assassinate you. Um, so all this by God's providence and grace has, has worked out. I want to notice here um, somewhere between 10 and 100 lessons from, from this passage. Okay, it's not 100, but I'm trying to get close to that. All right, here are some things that stand out to me as you're going through, the, through, through Acts 26, 19 and 32. All right. Um, you can do something with great zeal and be completely wrong. That's one thing that stands out. Paul was doing that. He thought he was being diligent and following God. Paul even mentions this in Romans 10. He says, I have this great sympathy and love for my own brethren. They, they have this great zeal for God, but they, they do it according to their, to their own righteousness, their own way. And so you read that there. Well, great zeal, but he was doing it completely, completely wrong. Well, imagine if you're dedicated and you're doing with such great zeal and you're focused on God, that won't last. And it didn't with, with Paul. Another thing I see here, God has a purpose and He has missions for people who will follow Him. And I see that throughout the Scriptures. It's not, everybody has some purpose, some mission that is a part of their life. And every one of us has it, especially in the Great Commission and in the Gospels, becoming a Christian is to share the Gospel. So when we're thinking about that, we should be looking at these examples. That's what Paul is here. It's for us to learn from him. All right, another thing I see here is that God's plan from the beginning it was in the book of genesis his plan from the beginning was to bless all the nations you read this isaiah as well isaiah uh, 49 what is that verse 6 i think isaiah 42 i think also verse 6 uh, i might not have those completely right and double check me on those but isaiah says that the light of the of this message of the gospel of god's servant who's coming talking about messiah that's coming and it's going to all the world. These things are predicted and they're going to go to all nations. Fulfilling what? What God had promised to Abraham that all the nations and families of the world are going to be blessed through him, through his offspring. And we ultimately see that in Jesus Christ. So the gospel message doesn't change. All right. Lesson number four. Uh, the gospel of Christ opens people's eyes. All right. When we're showing someone the gospel and a lot of people are resistant to that. I don't want to look at the world that way. I don't want to look from that perspective. You know, that you have to believe in God and trust in Him and believe that Jesus is the Christ. Well, that's the only reasonable way to view the world from my perspective, um, for someone to reject that. And then the description here is that the gospel does what? If you go back to that heavenly vision that Paul said, it draws people to light out of the darkness. It draws them to God, away from Satan. And the whole message of it comes to number five here, is the message of the gospel is to call people to repentance. Repentance to turn to God and do works of repentance. You cannot leave repentance out of the gospel message. And at that, when, when Paul is preaching that, that's when they all get mad at him. They want to start beating him. They want to kill him because of that message. What is repentance? I'm going to change my mind, change my thinking. That's what it literally means. And then to do works according to repentance, that's usually what we think of, we're going to do good deeds that conform to the faith of the gospel. Yes, I believe in God, but I, and I believe that Jesus is His Son. And it changes everything. And, and 
To believe the gospel changes everything. Changes the way that you think. I think that's the reason why so many people are resistant to it. Violent resistant. I don't want to repent. I don't want to change the way that I think. All right. Another lesson we see here is when we believe the gospel is God's plan, when we believe it is a plan for our life, we will stand by the help of God. And so remember Paul says that here. He says, I stand here by the help of God. And so Paul sees it as God's providence that he is in prison. And he gets to stand. But think about that. He gets to stand before Roman governor and before King Agrippa, and he's appealing to go stand before Caesar, the most powerful man in the world. That's an amazing thing. And he says this is all part of God's plan. It's all by his help. And that, that's probably not the route we'd want to go. If I get to stand before um, you know, some of the most powerful people in the United States, before the Senate, Congress, before the President, um, I, I prefer not to be in chains. You know, that's not the way that I would reason that I would, I would like to go there. Um, but if it happened that way, well, that, that sounds great. You know, I, if, if it's for the gospel and to be able to, to speak to those people, that's an amazing thing to think of. Another thing, another lesson here that stands out to me is that the message of Christ in the, in, that was predicted in the Scriptures is still convincing. You know, Paul is saying to King Agrippa, you know the prophecies, I know you believe in them. I know you know these things. You know what's going to happen with the Christ. You know that He was to die. You know that He was to rise from the dead. And who else could that be? We know who that is who's fittingly fit that description that we read about. Psalm 22, Psalm 16, Isaiah 53. Those key passages uh, that, that prophesy of what Christ would do. All right, another lesson. The gospel is Jesus' suffering and resurrection. It's very clear there. That what Paul is proclaiming in such a short amount of time is that the Scriptures predicted it. This sounds a lot like what he preached in Acts 13, what Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, and it's kind of condensed down. It's the same example given to us. Here you have these Scriptures. They predicted the Messiah would come. Well, here's Jesus. He fits them. What are you going to do with that? There it is. It's right there. It's the Gospel. And it's meant for the Jews, it says here, and it's meant for the nations of the world as well. And so, again, we want to reason that way. You see that effect of what is, I can't describe it any other way than miraculous. All right. Um, lesson number 75. No, we haven't gone that far. But when some people hear the message of Christ, they think it is nonsense but they know there's truth in it. You know, so you see Festus' reaction there, right? You're a madman. Why? Because you're so well learned in what? And who God is and in His Christ and what the Bible says. Well, great, call me a madman for knowing those things. But it seems to me there, you have to know there's some truth there. Even the way that King Agrippa responds there, I, I just, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm in touch, but these guys know and, and they can put everything together and they're saying okay this makes sense but it'd be madness for me to accept it and believe it and i think a lot of people in the world today see that you know everything makes sense who jesus is god but it would be just crazy for me to do that all right another thing that, that stands out here the life-changing effect of the gospel again that change appears as madness uh, another thing that stands out is that the words of the gospel, are, as described here, 
pulses are true and rational. And yes, they are. Um, all right, four more. I got four more. All right, out of 100. So you've done well. Maybe it's better to assume that people already notice who Jesus is. And so think about it this way. Paul's talking to King Agrippa and he says, I know you're not unaware what happened in your country. You're the king. You know about this. You know about Jesus. You know about this, the development of the church and the gospel that's been spread. There's no way you've missed this. And I think that's a very wise way to talk to people is to say, I know you haven't missed what the gospel is, do you? And I often like to talk to other fellow Christians and say, I know you know what the gospel is. And not, like, yeah. I was like, well, what is it? How many, what, what do you think most Christians say? Now, I do that, I've done that with my children too. I said, you know what the gospel is, right? What is it? I put them on the spot. But a lot of times, people really don't have an answer for that. They can't just tell you what it is and, in a very concise way and be able to teach it. And that's something to think about tonight. Uh, but anyways, so Paul is reasoning with King Agrippa. And he says, you already know these things. You didn't miss them. You see the truth of them. And you would know if it wasn't true. Um, another point here, another lesson. The recognition that someone is not oblivious to the truth is very much persuasive. You know these things. You, you know what's going on here. Think about it, King Agrippa. Two more points. Do not hide. Do not hide this. And I think this is the message that stands out as I was finishing the reading there. Do not hide that you want people to become true followers of Christ. I want you to become a Christian. Anybody we talk to, that we're discussing, that we share with, that we pray with, that we share the scripture with, and they say, you know, this is not the proper place and setting. Oh, I would that you become a Christian. This is the place. This is the time. You should hear these things. I would have you hear them. And I would want you to become a Christian. And I, and I think we live, in, we live in a world, I remember looking at statistics recently, where I don't, I don't know if this is true for all, quote, of the millennial generation. Um, and I guess I kind of fall into that section. But a lot of them believe that sharing your faith with others is uh, wrong. Like 70%. I don't believe that. But of course not. But it's a large number that says if you're sharing your religion and your faith with other people and talking about God, then that is wrong or that it's rude or that you're forcing it on somebody else. And some have even said that it's hate speech. There's no hate in that. Um, but the foolishness of that. So I'm not going to shy away from it. Uh, you're offended by Christ. I expect you would be. Um, the gospel and Christ calls you to repentance. We see here example of people reacting violently. And so, yeah, I want you to become a Christian. All right, last point. I see here that these courteous and kind people like Festus and King Agrippa, they respect you when you're sincere, when you respect them, when you're compassionate. And I see the, all those things in Paul and the way that he speaks here. He's not rude. And they see him and they see his life and what he stands for and that it's built on Jesus Christ. It's built on the truth. And I hope that others see that in us. So I hope you memorized all 100 points tonight from Acts 26. Actually, I think there's 15 to be 
I didn't want to tell you 15 because then you would have been counting down. All right, so now you can just do the math. There's 15 points. Um, usually I try to keep points down between three to seven. Um, but tonight, I was just going to let it all out because here, there's, there's so much here. And if you don't remember all those tonight, which I don't imagine you will, and I won't in about 15 minutes, I might, you know, I'll probably forget a few of them. But I know that the whole of the lesson here, and there's so much that we can read from the text that we're, we're studying Acts and draw from. And my overall point tonight in reading that is that you can use situations around you. Even the, the most peculiar situation. Uh, and here you have Paul standing before these great men of authority and change. And you can use that to speak of God and of Christ, and I hope that you would. Was Paul out of his mind? No. Did he sound like he was out of his mind? I don't think he did. He had true and rational words. But he did sound like, and I agree with this, that he had great learning. I think that was pretty clear. Um, we want to think about the gospel, think about the truth, think about the Bible, and others to come away thinking, he knows a lot, and let that truth affect them. And maybe they'll think it's madness to become a Christian and to be as diligent and as religious as that person is. Or maybe they'll think, well, if he can do it, and so can I. I hope that we think about these things and allow them to help us to be more effective and persuasive in sharing our faith. If there's anybody tonight that needs prayers, need to obey the gospel, to put on Christ in baptism, we encourage you to do so. We encourage you to come right now. Let's sing together.